With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Manscaped. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we have a special guest, Ben Girding. The DNVR Buffs intern is back on the show because he has thoughts on all sorts of things and because I kind of get lonely on this podcast, and so uh, he's here. How's it going, Ben? <laughs> it's going good. I'm always glad to help fill the void, you know, share my thoughts with the Buffs listeners. Yeah, we have a, a plethora of different things to talk about today, reaching across all sorts of yeah. topics. I'm excited to uh, get my thoughts. Yep. This is uh, one of the uh, few voids in my life that you can fill. The rest, uh, <laughs> I am still working on trying to find a patch for myself. So, um, you know what, before we uh, get into sports and stuff, how's how's life going new apartment finished the business program that you were doing over the summer how what's up well, it's it's been a busy summer i moved into a new apartment in boulder so that was always crazy as anybody mm-hmm. in here has ever been to see you lived in boulder knows uh and yeah this summer i was doing the business support program through the abyss school at cu it was a ton of fun loved learning about the business of sport um which turns out there's a lot of businesses in sport, uh, which is really my big takeaway. Uh, so yeah, it, it's been a crazy summer, uh, but I'm happy to kind of get back to normal and again, start getting back on the pod and doing a little bit more with DNVR Buffs now that my life kind of set down a bit. I am excited about that as well. Um, and there's some, uh, some stuff going on that you can have some good perspectives on considering you did just go through the business of sport, figuring out where the money comes from, where the money goes and why it goes where it does. And we're going to jump into some of that stuff with the PAC 12 player group demand and an update on what's going on, not just in the PAC 12, but across the country with the big 10 jumping in with something similar. But first got to give a quick shout out to our friends over at Manscaped. They're the ones who make this podcast possible. They're the presenting sponsor and we love them for that as well as, because of what they do for each of us individually. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best below the belt trimmer, best body hair trimmer in general that you're going to find. And that's because it's 7,000 RPMs, which sounds scary until you hear that it's actually nick free. 
it's very, very difficult to hurt yourself with it. I think like legally or something, I'm probably not supposed to say you can't hurt yourself with it. That's just my own guess that that's like some sort of guarantee that like maybe you could sue them after. So I'm not going to go that far. But what I will say is I've been pretty reckless and I haven't run into any trouble. So keep that in mind when you're trying to figure out which trimmer is right for you. And you can find the Lawnmower 3.0. Um, you can buy it uh, uh, solo at manscaped.com. You can also get it as part of the Perfect Package 3.0 um, that comes with a whole bunch of other great Manscaped products. And if you go to manscaped.com and decide you want to buy something, use the code DNVR20 to save yourself 20% and get yourself free shipping. It's all great stuff. I will personally vouch for all of it. And uh, you know what? I will give you my personal guarantee. If you hurt yourself with the lawnmower 3.0, I'll, uh, I don't know what I'll do, but I'll do something. Uh, so yeah, there we go. Manscaped, let's move on to sports. So uh, for those of you who aren't all the way caught up, honestly, you should probably just jump back to the podcast where uh, I, I think it's called like, what is hashtag we are united? Because I broke down basically what's going on. But I can give you a quick recap real quick before we jump into what's new. And basically, here's what happened. So, uh, the Pac-12 players, about depending on where you go for your information, the it's usually something like there are over 400 in the group text that uh, are threatening to not play this season if their demands aren't met. Um, since then, there have been some who said like, hey, you know, we support all this. We aren't necessarily going to not play, though. Like, we aren't in that far. So what exactly that number of dropouts would be, we don't know. But it could be upwards of 100, um, could be upwards of more than that, or it could be less. Who knows? Um, here's what they did, though. They wrote a letter. Uh, they, they published it in the Players' Tribune and basically said, we want a seat at the table. Um, us as a group, um, we want to have a voice in the uh, COVID-19 policies that the conference comes up with, how the testing works, how the social distancing works, who's allowed in, who's not allowed in, all of that sort of stuff so that they can have a say in their own safety, which makes sense. They expanded from there to include um, wanting insurance uh, six years past the time that they play division one sports past the time they play in the pac 12 uh, because of the lingering consequences of COVID-19 and also just playing sports in general. Um, they, they want a share of the revenue. They're asking for 50% of all revenue uh, to be funneled toward them and split evenly among pac 12 players. And that's basically what's going on um, there. There are about 11, I believe, players who have said we want to have a meeting uh, daily with Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner and the athletic directors from each school, like 8 p.m. every night, the 11 of us, one from each school, except Colorado, which is a weird thing. Uh, we want to have this talk. Larry Scott since then has been pretty open about it and positive about it saying like, yeah, we should talk and we will talk and we're going to set something up. Uh, and so that's kind of what's going on. Um, Let's just start here before we jump into the new stuff. Ben, what is your initial reaction to hearing that load of information that has just been dumped on us? Well, I think first things first, it kind of falls in line with what we've seen, you know, socially progress over the last couple of months of people realizing, you know, you have say and, and use your platform, you know, in ways that, that can help better you. And, and I think, 
with this Pac-12 player group, it's not just for them, but it's for Pac-12 players moving forward. Because realistically, to implement all of these changes, you know, it might not take into effect for a year or two. So mm -hmm. really, the people that are stepping up and standing up and voicing their opinion is not just for them. It's for the betterment of college football and college athletic uh, personnel in the future. So obviously that's great. And a lot of their demands, they're not just feasible. I mean, they're kind of just like, why are they not already in place? So I yeah. you talked about it on that initial pod. For example, the representation, you're signing your letters of intent and all that stuff. It's like kind of ghastly that no one had thought of, you know, are we really not going to let these 18 year olds get some sort of legal advice before this, you know? Yeah. So there's that's, that's against the rules. Of it. Yeah, like yeah. that's what's crazy just, is like they say you can't have an agent and when you hear that you think yeah why would you need an agent agents are for pro athletes those are guys like setting up endorsement deals but then you forget that what an agent is is a lawyer and these guys sign a whole bunch of paperwork starting with obviously signing day there's one but then all the way through including right now there's the waivers for the coronavirus that they have to sign and they're not allowed to have any sort of representation have anybody look over that stuff that's one of the obvious ones, but there are some points that are more controversial. Yeah. And one of those that I think honestly is this revenue sharing concept. I think mm -hmm. that's the one that is going to draw a lot of attention because they ask for a, a large number and, mm -hmm. you know, obviously paying college athletes is a super controversial. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I view it as obviously when you go into a negotiation, you're not going to ask for what you want. You're going to ask for more than what you want. And then you turn back around and you're going to get what you get because that's how you negotiate. Yep. But I think that if you took the revenue sharing section out and they just talked about the representation on the waivers and talked about the plan for what players should do when they opt out and, you know, the better standards for COVID in a conference, I think it would be more universally received uh, by the public. And that's why I think that revenue sharing is, you know, really going to be a tipping point and it might be a roadblock to coming into a deal between conference and these players because everything else is feasible. You pay cut from executives. I feel like if Larry Scott has the limelight on him long enough, he's going to make that move. Colorado already did this months ago, you know? And so it's, it's not unrealistic to expect your athletic directors and whatnot to do that. But the revenue sharing is just such a tough hurdle. Yeah. And, and it always has been, and it'll be interesting to see what the strategy is for the players, because we just don't know until they get into the meetings, until they start talking and say, here's something we can do. Here's something we can give up uh, on both sides. You know, the way the negotiations work, is that something that they are hard and fast demanding saying we aren't playing the season unless we get paid. Like, I mean, it's not a tough argument to make to say, turn on an NFL game and tell me what you see. Now turn on a college football game and tell me what you see. What is the difference here? Why is it that the people playing this game compared to this game that are bringing in revenue the same way, like they get their cut. They get 47%, I think, uh, the NFL players do. And that's pretty typical across sports. In college, they say you get a scholarship and that's it. It's kind of crazy in some ways that like the product is so similar between the two. And you almost wonder, at least for me, is this more of a symbolic move for the players to say, here are all the things that we should have. 
we should have all the coronavirus stuff. We should be allowed to have representation. We should have allowed to make money off of our likeness. You know, I, I think KJ Trujillo is starting a, a YouTube channel, or at least I think that's who it was that I've seen posting stuff on like uh, Instagram, on Twitter about having a new YouTube channel. He's not allowed to make money off of that. Like, like he's not allowed to put ads in that like everybody else does. Like, like we at DNVR do. That's just not allowed. And that's one of those crazy things. I think that it, this might be one of the situations where they just outlined, here are all the things that should be different than they are now. We don't necessarily need them all right now, but we do need to get out here and say, look at how unfair all of this is. This is what we're working toward. Let's see what we can fix right now. And then we can circle back to whatever else when the time comes. I agree. And I, I hope in my hearts that that's what it is because ultimately if revenue sharing is their steadfast line, it's not going to get done. And the problem mm -hmm. with it is that I feel like it's so tough people to comprehend just because of what a juggernaut college athletics are as a business, so much bureaucracy, but you know, if, even if you're looking at 50% of a revenue share of just college football back to the players means that you have to think almost every single other aspect of your athletic department because how, mm -hmm. of how much weight college football carries. And then on top of that, you look at, I believe there's only somewhere lower than 20 athletic departments in the entire country that actually turn a profit. You know, I mean, Colorado's budget is balanced and that's actually a huge accomplishment. And that was one thing that Rick George was really steadfast on when he came in was making sure they consistently had a balanced budget. So, you know, I think it's, again, I agree. I think it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, should these players be finding ways to be benefiting off of it? Because again, this is one of their most profitable times of their lives because of you know who they are and what they do yes but the problem is is there are so much already tied in to the system as it is now where it will take a lot of time to unweave it and you can't just jump you know from point a to point b in this situation there's a lot more in between and i think the biggest problem with it too is just the timing of to expect yep. you know a 50 percent revenue share when there's already you know, I mean, and we'll get into the loan in a bit, but the fact that there's talks of what would be a billion dollar loan if all the Pac-12 teams cash in on it is, it kind of just seems like the timing's a little, you know, ridiculous. So that's why I hope that it's more so a, this is what we want moving forward and not a, we're not going to play unless we get checked. Yeah. And that's, what's really interesting here because, you know, again, this is the conversation, not just in college sports, but across the United States right now is the systemic injustice, whether it's against black people, whether it's against women, whether it's against whoever. But right here is in college football, you can see how this all happened. You can see how coaches and administrators salaries are just massive because that's where the money goes because when whatever it was the big bubble hit in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s and all of a sudden college football became incredibly profitable and and schools had this money to throw around they said well let's make sure we're bringing the best coach and so whoever it was said okay we can pay this much money to get the coach in and somebody else says no we can pay this much more and and coach coaches salaries just skyrocketed and administrative salaries, guys like Larry Scott making $5.5 million for what he does. I mean, it's crazy that he's making that much money while the people who are actually on the field, the people who are seen, don't. 
and, and the problem now is that this is what happened. This, these markets have been so inflated because they had to throw money there. And then, you know, like you said, it's not like there's a bunch of money lying around, but it's because it has been invested by college football as a whole in the things that it's been invested in because it's been invested in coach because it's been invested in whatever else. And now you're at this point where, yeah, looking back, it would have been really easy to say players should be getting at least like whatever, a $10,000 stipend. And, and if that were the case, all that money would just be drained from every school. And that would have come from somewhere. It would have come from coaches salaries, from administrative salaries, and that market would just be lower. And there would have been this redistribution. But at this point, I just, I just don't know how you fix it. And that is why the Pac-12 players are just saying, we need to be talking with you guys every night at eight o'clock because we are going to solve this. Right. And, and I mean, you know, like you touched on with systemic oppression country for a variety of groups with, you know, student athletes being a part of them. The harsh reality is, is never going to be overnight change, no matter what is morally or ethically mm-hmm. correct, you know, because mm-hmm. things just take so long to actually implement. When it comes to, you know, player salaries and whatnot, some of hiccups with that are, you know, like, like you said, comparing product between the NFL and, and college football, they're very similar with that on-field product, but the back end of it is so different too because, you know, when you're talking about paying players, then you get into, well, is there going to be salary cap instituted? And that way, is it like, are you dividing money up differently? Because if you look at, you know, maybe we look at last year's team and you see Steven Montez and, you know, Blake Stenstrom, for example, the difference between those two players, you know, Steven Montez being a fifth-year guy, a three-year starter, he would be making exponentially more than a kid who's coming off the bench. But is that realistic in college athletics? Is that something that they could actually implement? You know, it's so many questions that would be a rabbit hole of an entire Netflix documentary series on yeah, what yeah. is actually possible and, and what should be done. So, you know, I, again, it's great that they're getting the ball rolling and they're willing to speak up for it. I just hope that their expectations for the players are tampered in the fact that, you know, because my worry is with 400 guys in a chat, you're inevitably going to have some miscommunication where some guys are like, oh, sweet. Like I start banking mm-hmm. on, we're getting 50% of the cut. And I just hope that, you know, that this year or next year and they can just manage that. Yeah. And, you know, the question really is, I mean, what happens if the players do opt out? How much leverage do they have? You know, if, if this group does all just say, fine, we're not playing. We just won't do it what happens to college football? You know, are, I mean, let's just say, let's just say 150 guys, that's 10 guys, a team. You're, you're probably losing. Let's see. I don't know. That's kind of tough to think about. So I guess there are 22 starters. It's called a hundred man team. Um, You're losing probably two starters. If, opting out is totally independent of your status in terms of playing time or on the roster, just totally random, which guys are saying we're not playing. That's what you'd expect. And if you see what 40, 50 guys play in a game, probably closer to 40, I'd guess, then you're losing two starters, two role players this season. How much of a hit is that? How much of a hit is losing, you know, Javon Holland, who seems to be the biggest name on this list, a guy who, 
we're about to talk about on the draft pod tomorrow, probably. And, you know, I have a first round grade on him. I'd say I'd lean closer toward a top 15 grade than a second round grade. That's a pretty high profile guy. That's a guy who's probably the biggest reason you could say that Oregon has the best secondary in the country. But is he replaceable? Because right now in the NFL, you're seeing guys get replaced too. You're seeing starters say, yeah, I'm opting out. And I just don't know how much clout they have. And if that jumps up to 400, that changes the conversation. But how much? Yeah, and that's part of the problem that's with the current climate is that you look at, I mean, their sports, we went from no sports to all sports really quickly, mm-hmm. and that's all everybody cares about. And that's immediately it feels like society has more to it because sports are back and there's more to talk about. So ultimately, like you said, if you're losing two stars and two role players, is that going to cause, you know, first of all, your diehard fans, I mean, your season ticket holders are going to be watching either way. And your casual fans, I mean, realistically, it it depends on the position, you know, Mm -hmm. if it's not a star quarterback or a real skill position guy that's opting out like look at Oregon you know even if it's like Penny Sewell if he opts out it's like that's not gonna stop Oregon fans from watching so mm-hmm. again it's one of those things where it is it's tough because guys are replaceable and especially with how big college rosters are, are compared to the NFL like you can bring guys up you can have raw athletes that can you know be a playmaker and you have especially in college sports so many people that want that job you know, people mm-hmm. that are already in-house ready to go because of how big the rosters are. You know, obviously there's going to be a hit to the overall product on the field if you see a lot of starters drop out. Mm-hmm. But the games are still going to be played. And realistically, if the percentage that are opt-out are going to be pretty equal across the board, across all 12 teams, which statistically speaking you would expect, then, you know, ultimately you're all knocked down a couple percentage points, but still – going to be competitive in that way so completely agree the amount that these guys that are going to opt out ultimately impact it's going to be tough because also with all these talks of college football being potentially moved to the spring some of these guys might have been opting out anyway and declaring yeah oh yeah and you know you've probably studied this a lot more than I have but about every five years one of the professional leagues has a work stoppage because they have a union because everybody is 100% on the same page and they all work together to get what's best for all of them. You know, if this season, all of the players said, Hey, we're not playing until we get this. And then next season, they said the same thing. And then the next season they said the same thing. And they said, no, we're not doing it until we get what we feel like we deserve until we at least get a deal that we're happy with. Even if it isn't 50%, even if it winds up being, 15%, 15%, 10%, and that split among all of the players on all the teams. You know, the thing is, even though this is the first time that we've seen college athletes band together and form some sort of cohesive group so that their voices are amplified in a way that they are never amplified when it's all just one guy saying, hey, we should do this, and everybody else saying, yeah, that'd be nice – but you don't really have a movement. I'm just not sure that right now, even 400 is enough of a movement. It might take everybody together saying, yep, here's what we're going to do because that's what it takes at the pro level, because that's what it takes to get those CBAs done. And even then you're still seeing like a lot of times the owners winning out. It's, it's just so tough. And and all of these revolutions in sports across everywhere else in terms of workers rights, 
it has taken a work stoppage. Student athletes in the Pac-12 right now don't have enough enough of them bought in to force a real work stoppage. Yeah. And, you know, exactly. Look at the NFL there. Um, oh, I forget the hashtag. Like, we want to play or something. It was right mm-hmm. before the NFL announced their COVID guidelines. And the difference between that campaign and the We Are United campaign is exactly that. There is a players association. So yep. that everybody, when you sign with a team, you're there. And the, as soon as a players association makes a decision, then you're good to go. 400 guys mm-hmm. in a group chat won't do it because quite frankly, I mean, like, you, you know, you could name any number of guys and you can find two more that want to take their spot. Yep. And whether that's because they're competitive and win it out in practice or because a player opts out for the season and then you get thrust into a starting role because all these guys that are on college rosters, they're playing for their future. And if you don't have uniformity across all of them of a stand at we all play or none of us play, it's just, it's not feasible because 400 people in a group chat, like you said, maybe 150 opt out. That's just not enough to make the push that they want. It would make a statement, absolutely. And it might make some moves on some of these points, but the bigger ones looking at revenue share and especially like the post-playing injury compensation also would be a big hurdle to jump. You need human authority. So what that means, you see a Pac-12, you know, PA, Player Association, or NCAA one as a whole, it's until you get to that point, there's no real possibility that this can be a thing because it's just not a real union. Yep. And this is going back to econ. It's kind of like the status quo bias where everybody just does what is normally done. If you're an NFL rookie, you get drafted to the NFL, you become a part of the NFL PA and you do what the NFL PA decides because that is the unified voice of all the players. And when they say we aren't reporting to camp because we didn't get this deal done, then that's just what the default is. It takes somebody standing up and saying, wow, no, we should be going. That's the guy who's outspoken. Whereas in college sports, it's the exact opposite because there is no union because they just say, oh, well, the default is still just showing up to practice, still going in for workouts, reporting for day one of fall camp. And it's this outspoken group that's saying, no, actually, we need more. We need to get this done it just doesn't quite work and they do need to likely form something more. But I do think that this could be a pretty big step in the right direction. I think that if you do get whatever it is that you get that you want out of the coronavirus testing in terms of like the protocols around the facilities, whatever it is there. Plus you say, let's get some insurance. Let's see if we can find some way to do this where I can, I mean, again, it's just crazy to think that, a kid could go and be a star athlete and be, you know, uh, an all pack 12 running back, get injured, lose your future in the NFL without having earned anything from all that you contributed people turning on the game because you're there. I mean, people think Christian McCaffrey. I know I personally turned on Stanford games because Christian McCaffrey was right there playing. I didn't watch a lot of college football. That was a guy I would turn on the TV to see. If he had gotten some devastating knee injury, didn't play again, he wouldn't have seen a penny from any of that. And he'd be stuck with his own medical bills on top of it. You know, sure, you get like the high profile people would be like, oh, I remember that Christian McCaffrey. But that's not something you can monetize. It's, it just doesn't work. And that's the way the system is set up. And again, 
in any situation, there will be a loser wherever this goes, whether it's people cutting the salaries, of the coaches, cutting the salaries, of the administrators. I don't know how you even go about doing that, but imagine you could, you feel bad for those guys. But right now, the way this has been built for the last however many years, 30 years that college football players have been able to bring in real money to their athletics departments, earn money for coaches, earn money for administrators, earn money for the equipment staff, earn money for the recruiting staff, earn money for whoever it is there. They have gotten none of it. And they have had like whatever that negative externality, everything has just been pushed onto them. Yeah. I think, I mean, if, if I'm a player and I'm looking at this list, I think that that injury compensation and that healthcare would need to be number one because mm-hmm. like, like we've, we've beat this whole time, you know, the revenue sharing just has so much to it, but that injury compensation is important because of those medical bills. And I, I, I think that what's often lost is, I mean, you talk about the education aspect of these scholarships and you see, you know, I mean, honestly, what kind of an education are these athletes really get it? I think personally, you know, student athletes need to take a look at that and self-reflect because mm-hmm. you're getting an opportunity that not a lot of people get. To. And you look at minority groups, especially African-Americans mm-hmm. within the country, sports provides that alley. And mm-hmm. when you get a degree, just this tiny piece of paper that you kind of just BS your way to all four years that you're in college, it still increases your salary on average by about $20,000. So I think that you know, student athletes need to be taking their education more seriously. I know that I've, I've talked to people that are student athletes. I've talked to people that are also, you know, working in the champion center as tutors. And a lot of the time you get athletes that want help that want to be tutored. And then you also get athletes that just expect it to be done by the tutors and Mm -hmm. finding that, you know, with the student athletes, they need to be able to better prioritize that. But on top of that, obviously injury compensation, because like you pointed out, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous that they would get stuck with those bills when, it, you know, it, it's just, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And yeah. again, quite frankly, it's impossible to project what's going to happen because you could see them come to a deal to, before this podcast is even published for some, you know, yeah, or you it's could possible. see- so it's, it's so tough to, you know, look at what this deal is going to be and just either which way, like you said, there's always going to be losers on, on every single side of negotiation. You just hope that the PAC 12 able to set a positive standard and kind of maybe set a new precedent for other power five conferences in the NCAA or the NCAA <laughs> as a whole. Um, and, you know, maybe, Pac-12 starts to make a positive aim for itself by prioritizing its players and they become the front runner. And in turn, I mean, that could help sway some recruits, take them away oh, yeah. from Big 12, oh, SEC, yeah. Big 10 schools, which I think is an underlying factor that athletic directors really need to be looking at is if, if offer things that other conferences aren't, you're, you're going to get better recruits in a way that LSU can't because of their locker rooms. Yeah, exactly. You know, you look at Nebraska, they have iPads and they have plasma screen TVs in every single locker. That will help you win recruiting battles, but you know what would help them win recruiting battles even more? If they could just give whatever they spent on that stuff in cash to the recruits and say, here, do what you want. If you want to buy yourself an iPad and a TV, go buy yourself an iPad or a TV. Like, 
that is kind of this underlying flaw everywhere. And, you know, just jumping back real quickly, I, I like what you said, that the medical stuff should be probably the number one priority because, you know, you, you look at college sports and they are kind of a lottery ticket. You know, that's, that's what everybody says. You know, you, you go and if everything goes well, then boom, you get to make millions of dollars in the NFL, mil millions of dollars in the NBA, make thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars playing soccer if that's the route you go. You know, that's the path. That's the lottery ticket. But there's also that re re like reverse lottery ticket, which is if you get hurt, you could just be paying that much money. And without getting into like, the way the healthcare system in the United States is built, you know, <laughs> it really is dangerous that it is potentially uh, financially devastating, like financially defining. That is who you are financially as somebody who is paying off this debt for the next 30, 40 years, have no money to spend on trips to Disney world, have no money to spend on luxury items, but also have no money to invest have no money to put aside so that you have a retirement. And that's where the real impact is. That's where that money comes from. And again, I, I do think that that's a good point. In terms of student athletes maximizing the education, yeah, there definitely are some who waste it. And uh, that's not good. But again, you have to remember what it looks like to maximize your education as a student athlete. That means you're waking up at 6 a.m., maybe even earlier, you're headed into workouts, you're headed into wherever, then practice, then classes, and all that stuff, half, not half the time. You know, if you're a football player, you, you miss your Friday classes every other week. That's not that bad. If you're a basketball player, you miss your classes, what? I guess, what are those trips? They're Thursday to Friday, Friday so they're leaving Wednesday nights. So they're missing their Thursday and Friday classes every other week. If you're somebody who plays more during the week, then it's more. So you do miss that tangible part of the education, which is replaced by just reading out of a book. It's all, again, you have to just put yourself in their shoes and say, what does maximizing education look like? It means you're basically doing football and you're doing school from six in the morning until eight at night. And sometimes there are projects or papers that me, it takes more. And that's why people are pushed away from the education. That's why, you know, if I were a college athlete and I had the option, I would be tempted to say, yeah, give me my scholarship. Let me go play football for four years and then go to school the four years after that when I have time to like actually maximize this stuff. And you know, that's one of the things they've said is that was one of the demands, make our scholarship six years. Make it so that we can either spread things out so that we can take our time and go through at the pace that makes the most sense for us. And, you know, makes the most sense for us doesn't mean I'm dumb. It means because I have a whole bunch of other things going on in my life and I can take better advantage of it if I have more time. Or if you're somebody who says, hey, I'm, I'm a high achiever for whatever reason. I'm, I'm not worried about having any sort of social life. You know, I'm, I'm all right, not hanging out with friends all that often compared to what life is like for other student athletes, other college kids, then yeah, finish in four years and go get yourself a graduate degree with those last two. You know, it, I think just in general, everything in this system should be questioned by both sides, by the players yeah. saying, here's what we like and here's what we don't like by the administrator saying, here's what we need to have. And here's where we can be flexible. And if everybody just goes to the table, thinking that way good things will happen for everybody Ugh, it's that's the, pro the problem is with with this and with everything else with every single problem you could identify 
it's in the country is that people are so stubborn that you, yep. you just can't rationalize with, you know, anything that you don't already, you know, your, your preconceived notion. So, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I personally, when, when I'm looking at this, is, is college is a stepping stone. And I do think that, that you hit on that point great about, you know, maximizing your education really means that you are either head is in Zoom or on the field, you know, and, and that's mm -hmm. tough. Obviously, finding a balance is really important. And, you know, too, with that injury stuff, uh, I, I have a friend who I met in the business support program. She had a volleyball scholarship to a school in Nebraska, tore her knee the summer before she went, had to pay for that stuff out of pocket. And like mm -hmm. you said, I mean, not only can that be financially crippling into your future, but it can also, you know, funds that you saved up for college anyway might have to go to those medical expenses and they miss it on that bonus of getting that piece of paper that bumps your salary. So I, there's so much that goes into it as far as forming a good future because realistically, what is it? 6% combined college basketball and football player make it to the pros. So, I mean, 94% of these people need to be thinking long-term, need to be thinking, yep. I'm not going to be playing in the NFL. So what's going to better me in the future it means having injury coverage, whether that injury occurs in your freshman or senior season. So you don't have to worry about it moving forward. What does that mean to you? Kind of maybe revitalizing the way student athletes are taught, finding a new way to, like you said, with expanding um, eligibility, that way they can take less credits during their in season. So they can focus on both and actually mm -hmm. maximize that education in a way. It takes a lot of thinking. And like you said, it's going to take concessions from both sides. Hope that it comes because, you know, not even just looking at this season and having players opt out. It's again, it's about the future of college athletics moving forward. And it's going to be more desirable. It's going to keep college football around. Whereas, you know, there's always questions about the NFL because of liability issues, but there always felt like there was a safety net of college sports will always be here. So finding ways mm -hmm. to increase that longevity and, and keep it around is really important for generations to come. Yep. Yep. So I basically think that we decided that it's very complicated and there are no good answers. So good thing <laughs> yes. we had that talk. That was the, yes. We came uh, with we, a great conclusion of no conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. It's just not going well is the conclusion. Um, I should say though, because this was kind of the point, the news here is that the big 10 is doing something similar. Players have formed their own group. They've been in touch with all the people in the Pac-12. And we've heard that the other major conferences have had players reach out to the Pac-12 and say, how's this going? How did you do this? Um, what would you do differently? You know, that kind of stuff. And they are kind of working together across the conferences um, with the Big Ten being the first to take the big step of writing a Players' Tribune article with a list of demands. Uh, they, they stayed away from the uh, asking for pay. Uh, they also didn't threaten to opt out. It was a little more... I think that the Pac-12 players put them in the position where they could do that is what I'll say because now the Big Ten can say, hey, we're not all that radical, are we? Look at what the Pac-12 players are doing. Let's just come in here with this like nice, easy list of demands. Let's not let this get heated. Just sign this and we'll move on. There's still the possibility that they could opt out. They just didn't like put that in writing. And again, the monetary stuff mostly is included. It is, for the most part, I'd say 90% just COVID-related. Um, anything you want to add about that before we move on? No, I just, I, I think you hit the nail on the head really. The Pac-12's big list paved the way for the Big Ten to look, look like they are, you know, very focused on one thing and one thing mm -hmm. only, you know, and, and so I, 
like that because I think it will, you know, help them lead to a bigger voice in the future because they came to the mm -hmm. table with kind of a smaller shopping list. We'll see which is more effective um, in, in time. Mm -hmm. I honestly could see it going either way where, you know, one conference or the other could get, you know, a bigger list of their demands, but it'll just be, it's just one of those things that are just going to be fascinating to watch because of the different approaches. Yep. And, and I do think that the Big Ten has the better chance at success, but I think that's because the Pac-12 approached it the way they did. Uh, I think that a lot more attention is drawn to what's going on because the Pac-12's list was so extensive because they really did lay out all of the things that are exploitative of college athletes. And again, the system is not built in a way that that can all be changed quickly. It's going to take time, all that kind of stuff. And I do think they recognize that, but I do think pointing it all out and saying, Hey, here's what's going on. Draws so much attention to the issue that the big tens players will, you know, reap the rewards of that attention because now I don't think the Big Ten uh, administrators could push them under the rug quite as easily as they could have if it were not for the attention that the Pac-12 is drawing to all of what's going on. So it's not really like in a vacuum, one is going to work better than the other because I do think that they are codependent with the Big Ten reaping more rewards from the Pac-12 than the other way around. Mm -hmm, absolutely. That all came out much more smoothly than it should have. Uh, and you know what else comes out smoothly? Brackenridge beers. There's nothing better than seeing uh, one of those poured. Just a nice amber color. You know, I actually tried the RK special for the first time last night at the DNVR bar. Um, yeah. That is the Hot Peak IPA mixed with some Strawberry Sky. It's actually really good. I really? would say not, not as good as the Strawberry Sky itself, but... You know, there's also more alcohol in there, so you get that benefit too. So maybe it's worth it, you know? Uh, what's, yeah. uh, what's, what's been on tap for you, Ben? Oh, always Strawberry Sky. That's got to be so what good. I'm rolling with now. Yeah, and I've heard, you know, Ryan talk about the RK special, and it does seem sacrilegious to be mm -hmm. mixing beers. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my dad back in Ohio, I've asked him to try it, and he refuses for that reason. So <laughs> I'm going to have to – I'm gonna, get my hands on it here soon and give it a shot. Maybe next time I'm down at the DNVR bar for one of these upcoming watch parties. Maybe I'll have to check it out then. You pick the day and I will be there. Uh, <laughs> and again, great place because they have all of the Breckenridge, well, not all the Breckenridge beers on tap. They have most of the Breckenridge beers on tap. <laughs> and uh, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, you could get those, like I said, at the DNVR bar, at Davidson's Beer Wine Spirits down south of Denver. You can get them at King Supers, gas stations, liquor stores, pretty much wherever. But if you want to be sure, use the beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery app and it'll get you all hooked up with whatever Breckenridge beer you want to try. Also, want to give a shout out to my friends over at DraftKings. They have been making me so much money recently. Well, actually, it's kind of this weird thing where I'm promoting them, but also taking a whole bunch of money from them. A lot of good things have been happening for me. I've hit on uh, two hockey games already today. Uh, the Blues are up 1-0 right now, so that's looking like a third. Uh, it's been a good stretch, and I, I have to admit, a lot of it is because I'm a homer in my bets, and all of the Colorado teams have been spectacular. Still a lot of fun, though, um, and, and we really appreciate having them um, because it just makes the return to sports even more fun because I want to enjoy the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I really couldn't name more than about 
seven guys in the rest of the league outside of the avalanche. But now I know enough to say, oh, Canucks all day, Canucks all day, and then make money off of it because I did my research because I, unlike a student athlete, have all the time in the world to be studying. Uh, <laughs> if you guys want to get in on the action, you can download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code DNBR when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with the sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Just enter the code DNBR when you sign up. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older. Colorado only bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right. Uh, let's talk about some football. Not like what football players are thinking or any of that kind of stuff but what is actually happening on the field. And uh, let's just start by talking about this list that I guess it's not a list. It's a coaches poll that was released today. Um, all the coaches of the country vote. And then you wind up with rankings of the top 25. The PAC 12 had three teams in the top 25 and Colorado will play all four of them or all three of them in the first four weeks of the season. Uh, number nine, Oregon, number 17 USC, number 20 Utah. And then outside of the uh, top 25, there were a couple others. There's the receiving votes section. So you can kind of expand the rankings if you want. It might be a little bit skewed because that's not how it's supposed to be read. But what it came out with is 28 ASU, 32 Washington, 41 Washington State, uh, tied 42nd Cal, and then 46th Stanford. What are your uh, initial reactions to all of what's going on here? Initial reactions are that uh, the coaches agree with everybody else on Twitter and that the buff schedule is not easy. Um, just, mm -hmm. you know, going down the list, Oregon, USC, and Utah, they're, <laughs> within the first four weeks, you got to take on three of them, you know, and I think only one is at home. That's just, yep. It, it's tough. I, I, to get into, you know, Utah's ranking, I personally think they're a little high for as much talent as they lost. Yep. I, I think they're a little behind Arizona State. But still, those four, Oregon, USC, Utah, and Arizona State, are all going to be tough, tough games. And Arizona State then comes in week six, which is right after the bye week. So within your first five games, you're playing four teams that are pretty much ranked within the top 30 uh, from the coaches poll here in the preseason. So – I, that is, it's just a tough draw. Um, you know, the good news is you don't have to play Cal. So that's one takeaway. You know, Cal got some votes. But other than that, each team brings a different aspect that's going to – it's going to really showcase Carl Durrell's coaching abilities because each team is going to take a different plan of attack. That is very true. And I had, like, this really cool transition into a point I was going to make. But screw that. That was a great point you made. So I want to talk about this. I hadn't even thought about that, but that is very true that these teams are structured so differently. Uh, you know, week one, you play Oregon. Ground and pound, C.J. Verdell, best running back in the uh, Pac-12. Penny Sewell, the best player in college football. You're going up against the best secondary uh, defensively. They have the number one recruit in the country heading into his sophomore year now in Kayvon Thibodeau. Plenty of other pass rushers to go alongside him at outside linebacker. They add... They lose Troy Dye, you know, who is like this superstar safety turned converted linebacker who becomes the like super modern what you're looking for in a linebacker in football now. But they replace him with not just the number one linebacker in the country 
in uh, Justin Flo, I think is his first name, but also the number two inside linebacker in the country with Penny Sewell's little brother. This is such a scary team. That's going to, uh, I shouldn't say it's going to be a bloodbath, but you could see how it could be a bloodbath. And if it isn't, this will be like the, one of the great games in this era of Colorado football, this Carl Durrell era, if they come out and even show some real fight, make this a game in the fourth quarter, I think people are going to see this team differently than they do now. And if they pull the win, obviously that's one of the biggest upsets in Colorado history. Um, but getting back to your point, Utah week two, losing some talent, kind of similar to Oregon in some ways in the physicality, but from there, you go to Arizona, which is a question mark. USC, which has this high-powered passing attack with the best group of receivers in the country. Keaton Slovis, a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback. The next week, you go to Arizona State. Dual-threat quarterback in Jaden Daniels. At that point, he won't be an un unknown. At that point, we'll know what he is. We'll know whether he actually is a Heisman contender as well. Then with Washington, UCLA with the mobility, Stanford up next. It, it is a schedule where you are stretched in so many different ways. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, getting back to that Oregon game too, I want to say it's a game that's going to be won in the trenches, but you know, Oregon Hopefully it isn't. isn't just the trenches. <laughs> it's, it's everything. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, you know, uh, you, you really hate to talk about moral victories. Um, but mm -hmm. that, I mean, if you keep that game within 14 points, honestly, I think you're, you're patting yourselves on the back because it's a tough yep. way to start the season. Um, you know, it would have been great to go in there, maybe two and one, maybe one and two still, depending on those first three games in the original schedule. So instead now taking them on first expectations are, are tough for that. I, I agree. I think some teams from these coaches pull, I think are a little high. We talked about Utah being mm -hmm. a little high ASU may be maybe being a little too low talking about Jaden Daniels. I mean, he, I, he is a sleeper for me as a Heisman candidate. Keaton Slovis is going to enter mm -hmm. as, as one of the favorites, but Jaden Daniels, brings that different playmaking ability. And, you know, what's tough with Colorado is you just had, you know, what, three years of that facing Arizona each time with a running quarterback. And finally mm -hmm. you're done with that. And now you've got to deal with it in Arizona State with Jaden Daniels, not mm -hmm. quite um, the runner. Oh, I'm blanking on his name. Arizona's quarterback. Cool Tate. Uh, yes, Khalil Tate. Yeah. So not quite the same runner as Tate, a little bit better of a passer, but still that dynamic ability. Yep. I think Washington – is ranked high to even be mentioned in this coach's poll just because yep. there's so many question marks with the Huskies. They Everywhere. really don't scare me all that much. Yeah. And, and just looking at, they lose their starting quarterback. They've now, they've got only four returning starters on offense and a new offensive coordinator. It's just, and that's the team you beat too. It does, you know, obviously you're mm -hmm. going on the road this year, but you just, that team just doesn't scare me as much. And then Washington state too, I think, that is that's going to be a hit or miss team. I know they're yeah. bringing in a coaching yep. staff that should be able to execute an offense similar to what Mike Leach now brings to Mississippi State. But still, whenever you're going through a coaching staff change, it is so difficult to predict how they're going to play. So I, I think yeah. there are some teams on here that are that are adequately ranked. I do like seeing the Pac-12 representation because I've seen other top 25s for the preseason that really only have like Oregon and maybe USC sneaking in there or maybe Utah sneaking in there. But it's mm -hmm. good to see some good actual representation give some more clout back to the Pac-12. Yeah, just just running through this quickly, you know, starting at the top with Oregon. I think nine is where they should be on the dot. You look at the teams in front of them, the teams behind them, 
that's totally correct. At 17, USC, I think might be just a little bit underrated. I have a tough time putting him into the top 15, but that's a consideration I'm having. And that's why I'm saying very slightly underrated. I think you could bump them up a couple spots. I think you could make the argument that they're 15, 14, right in that range and not 17. Utah, overrated. Arizona State should be ahead of them. And Arizona State should be 23, 24, 25, somewhere in there. With Utah maybe squeaking in at 25, I'd have them closer to 30. After that, Washington at 32, I mean, I'd put Cal in front of them. I'd put Cal in front of Washington State, in front of Washington. And Cal's down there at 42, 10 spots behind him. But with the running back, uh, oh, blanking on his name. Is that also Chris Smith? I thought it was Chris Smith. Cal? No, no. Doesn't matter. Yeah, but but then UCLA has the guard coming back, so I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's right. But, uh, yeah, even there. But from behind them, the thing is, Washington, Washington State, Stanford, all similar tier in my mind. Stanford I'd give the edge to because they have the coach and David Shaw because I think they have the foundation. I could see them being a six- or seven-win team a lot more easily. I could see Washington, Washington State – but even when you're talking Washington, Washington State, I, you know, I could even look at a team like Oregon State and say, hey, mm-hmm. at least they have Jamar Jefferson at running back. That can carry an offense. They have Hamilcar Shed on defense who could turn out to be a, uh, the best player defensively in the Pac-12 this year, in my mind, as a pass rusher. That's a high leverage position. You at least have this very high-level talent at two positions where in college football – you can dictate a lot of games with those two. I just, I mean, not, I don't want to say like Oregon State off this list. What are you doing? That's not the point here. The point is, I do think that they are just as competitive as Washington, Washington State, who are overrated here. I don't know. Absolutely. It, it is always kind of fun to see what coaches think, though, and how they think differently than all of us on this side of everything. Yeah. I, I agree, especially on Cal, because, you know, Chase Garbers is supposed to be fully healthy now, mm-hmm. and I think they're, they're undefeated when he finishes the entire game. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think that they're, they're underrated. I agree. I think that they would be a kind of 30 to 35 range, speaking generously. I think 42 mm-hmm. is a fine ranking for them, just in regards to where they put Washington, Washington State. Yeah. I also agree. I think Stanford gets the nod in that middle tier just because With, they're when they're healthy, they have one of the best offensive lines in the country. I and mean, they have Davis Mills. The, yeah, and, a, and so an experienced quarterback there too. Like it's ah. just interesting to see kind of how that sacks up. You know, looking at Oregon at nine, I think that shows a lot of faith in Tyler Show. I, am I pronouncing yeah. that last name right? I don't even know. That's how I've said it. Okay, yeah. So I, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think he's going to be better than Justin Herbert as just because oh, wow. it kind of felt like at times like, – oh, yeah, all right, that, yeah, that's, that might be a bolder take than I think I realized <laughs> saying it, considering Herbert yeah, he was, was a sixth like pick the sixth the overall pick, yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> just in regards to – I think they're going to kind of run their offense a little bit differently. It just felt at times watching Oregon, they had more handcuffs on for some reason. And I don't know if that's just mm-hmm. my take. I think that Tyler Show, he's not going to have the same mobility that Justin Herbert had but he's going to be a clean, fundamental quarterback, which I think is, is going to help. Um, yeah, Washington, Washington State really don't scare me. I don't know if I'm being optimistic to put Colorado in a similar tier as those type of teams. I and think when that's I fair. Say that, 
Yeah, because the problem UCLA is UCLA as well. So many unknowns. Yeah, and UCLA too, because mm-hmm. there are so many unknowns across the board, whether it be a new head coach for some of these teams, whether it be new quarterbacks, whether it be with Colorado, you have everything new. Um, you know, it just it depends yep. <laughs> on so many of these factors that you just don't know. Whereas when you look at Oregon and USC and, you know, even Arizona State too, you, you can have those pillars to lean on. Even, again, when you look at maybe Cal or like you said, even Oregon State with having these pillars to lean on. Teams that don't have those go-to guys – are really going to just be hit or miss. And so it's going to be exciting with the conference only season to see how that shakes out. Because, you know, when you look at Washington, I can't name anybody on that offense that would, you know, make an or make a defensive coordinator really say, yeah. well, we got to commit yeah. to stop that, you know, and the same goes for Colorado. The same goes for at this point, Washington state, just because there's so many unknowns. So I think to put, a team like Washington at 32 and again, not even have an Oregon state with much more experience in the list at all. It just is a little fascinating to see, you know, what coaches are thinking, but you know, ultimately this whole list could be blown up by the time even week one starts just based on, you know, injuries, what we learned from, you know, getting actually people back on the practice field. Yep. Yep. And I would agree, you know, and, and to me, when you look at the bottom four teams that were listed today, Washington, Washington State, Cal, Stanford, what I don't like is that Cal has Garbers, Stanford has Davis Mills, Washington, Washington State are replacing their quarterbacks. And I think when you look at this tier of team, you go with the quarterback. That's always my thought. And like Washington State, they have this really fun freshman who's coming in, this dual threat uh, you know, Rolovich was coaching at Hawaii while I, I'm blanking on this quarterback's name because I wasn't thinking that was going to come up today, but he's, uh, he's, he's from Honolulu. He, uh, I, I, I want to say it's like St. something high school, but it's one of the big ones there. I think it's St. Louis high school. Um, but, but he's this dual threat quarterback who's coming in, but he's a true freshman. And, you just don't put those two teams ahead of Cal Stanford in my mind. And I, and Stanford's losing a lot of pieces, which is fair. You know, it's, that's a weird thing that happens there where they're able to get players into the school, but then when they have to keep them for graduate school, they aren't able to get them in. And so they have all these guys who have these undergrad degrees from Stanford who are having to leave because they can't get into grad school there to play their last season. And that was hitting them again hard this year. But still, uh, it's David Shaw, it's Walker Little at left tackle with a bunch of other very good offensive linemen, some Colorado kids who I think will be starting this year, and, and Davis Mills at quarterback. Like, come on. Yeah, you just it, <laughs> when you're looking at those four teams and you're analyzing because you know at this point you're kind of weighing like those question marks. Which question marks are be bigger? You got to lean on the experience. You got to lean on what you know. And the fact that Cal and Stanford are. Yeah, and it's not even just the fact that they're below Washington, Washington State, but it's, you know, they're 10 to 14 receiving votes lower than Washington mm-hmm. when Washington is a team. When I'm looking at Colorado's schedule, Washington really doesn't concern me. It's, it's no. not a game that I'm really concerned about, especially when you compare it to their first five games. But, you know, it's just – it's not that big of a game. It's one of those that you're like, yeah, they can win that and they can actually make a push for – you know, a five and five season potentially. So it's just interesting to see, you know, what these coaches thoughts are at. Maybe they've been in the house too long for some of them, but I I agree. I think Oregon is pretty spot on USC. I have them right around 15 or 20. 
Uh, and again, Utah, USC switched those spots. Be good with that. And so it, pretty decent for the top, for the, for the top 25. I don't have a whole lot of complaints from top to bottom. Just looking at the entire country. It's those receiving vote teams that really make you like, huh, I wonder what they can. Yep. And I would agree. Um, okay. So here's the deal. In the third segment, we were going to talk about John Rothstein saying that sources are telling him there are, uh, there, there's the potential for a college basketball bubble, which is a really interesting topic, which means we do not have time to fit it into this podcast today. <laughs> so instead, I have an idea. Um, since we were talking so much about the opt-out, um, I just sent you a link to a, a depth chart. It isn't the official depth chart, and that's just because that I didn't think I would put the effort into pulling that one up. Um, <laughs> yeah. So in the final segment, I was thinking it'd be fun to go through this football roster and say, okay, there are opt-outs. There are two starters opting out. This is kind of a, a mean game to play, but <laughs> which two starters would you want to opt out? And which two would you really not want to lose? So that's what's going on. That's why I just sent you that link. And yeah, okay. I'm going to give you a second to think about it while we talk about our good friends over at I have so many things streaming right now. I'm recording this and Zoom is going with the microphone plugged in with my laptop powering it. Oh, we are talking about our best friends over there at MSU Denver Online. Uh, MSU Denver is a great place to continue your education if you're interested in continuing your education. Um, it's also a great place to start your education. If you're out of school, you took a gap year, um, or you know what, even if you were planning on taking a gap year this year, but that fell through because there's really nothing fun to do in your year off, take a class, take two classes, get yourself a little bit ahead of schedule when the time comes for school to return. You know, there's so many different things about MSU Denver online that people find appealing. And again, we touched on a couple of them, but a lot of them come up when we're all stuck inside and there aren't as many fun things to do outside. You know, if there is no college football, knock on wood, why not spend your Saturdays taking an online class, pick up an extra credit and then say, hey, that means we get to pregame just a little bit harder on Fridays next year when we are back at school. I don't know, just throwing stuff at the wall. But uh, MSU Denver Online is a great option. They have over 700 online courses, over 30 online programs. They'll get you a degree. Um, a couple of DMVR staff members, Harrison Wind and Ali Monroy, are taking classes through MSU Denver Online, and the reviews have been spectacular. If you want to know more, you can ask them about it, or you can go to msudenver.com slash online. Um, all right, Ben, here we go. Just to have this little like thought experiment, what happens if you know we say 200 players opt out? Or is that what we decided? 200. That, no, that's not right. 200, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, and the way well, the numbers we, break out, yeah. yeah, something like that. Because yeah, then that's 10 per school, 100 players, two in your top 20 who would be starters, two role players behind them who you'd lose. Um, so let's just start. Which two do you not want to lose? Um, that's going to be easier. I'll let you go first. Well, the first one I don't want to lose is going to be Will Sherman. And that's because quite mm -hmm. frankly, I think he's the best football player on this team mm -hmm. polished and him making that move over to left tackle makes it all the more important. You can't lose Will Sherman just because he's gonna, 
bring stability to that offensive line. And Colorado's offensive line last season was, was pretty decent. I mean, you know, there were – I had some concerns going into it. Was pretty impressed. They're returning three guys. I like the shuffle that they've made, moving Colby Purcell back over to center. I think it's going to gel well. So the last thing you want to do is yank your, your left tackle, especially when all three are quarterbacks that are gunning for that spot are right-handed. So they're going to be the blind side. Yep. You want to make sure you got that covered. Then the next one is, is Nate Landman. And that's just because of the presence and the leadership that he brings to the defense. Being a senior, being a guy that's handled a lot of media, he, he just has a presence about him that I think you need. Now, the problem with me saying that also is that I think the depth at inside linebacker is actually not bad. I would, you know, maybe point to the secondary, but I, I'm going to go with my gut and say Nate Landman and Will Sherman. Those are the two that you need to, you need to stick around. Yeah, and I think those would be my two as well. You know, I, I think Mustafa you could make a strong argument for just because, you know, I, I like what they have, and I like the depth at defensive line behind him. He's the splash player still, though. You know, Terrence Lang could take that step this year where he becomes a, a nine-sack guy, maybe even a double-digit sack guy, which would require him doubling his output from last year, more than doubling it, really. Jalen Sami, you like what you like, like what you see. He's a good run stuffer up the middle, but in terms of sack numbers, which is such an important part of football, you just don't get much out of him. So I could see the argument for Mustafa. You know, another one I was going with was Alex Fontenot. Even though you do have the depth at running back behind him, we haven't seen enough out of Jaron Mangum to say he can carry the load. We haven't seen Ashad Clayton at all. You know, it would be a pretty big risk to lose Alex Fontenot, even though all the depth behind him is so much fun. But I, I, I do think that you got it right with Nate Landman and Will Sherman. Here's the part that could get a little uh, more interesting. Which two starters do you take away? Well, see, that's a great seamless transition because the first one that immediately came to my mind is Alex Fontenot. That's fair, and yeah. That, and and, and it's, it's, it's part of it's the death because I, I agree with you. You know, haven't seen – a ton out of Jaron Mangum. He's had some splashes. He's had some awesome mistakes that you want him to fix, but, you know, having another year to kind of develop, you know, but also Deion Smith behind him, Jarek Broussard, he should be healthy. And then mm -hmm. Ashad Clayton was one of your mm -hmm. biggest findings. And so I want to believe that out of that crop, you can have a, whether it's one guy step up or whether it is a running back by committee, which I think in college football is a tougher sell because having one guy to lean on at running back is it, it can be very valuable, especially with a young quarterback. But I just I think Alex Fontenot doesn't bring anything that is so irreplaceable that can't be found in a collection of other people. So although I completely agree, I mm -hmm. love having him as that stable guy to start the season. I truthfully would be I'd be lying if I said I'm convinced he'll be your full season starter. I yeah. I could see Jeremy Mangum taking that role. I could also see a guy like Ashad Clayton just taking the team by storm. I think that's heavy expectations for a true freshman, but there's just a lot of possibilities where I think Alex Fontenot, you could be okay. So that's one yep. guy that I think that you lose Fontenot, you'll figure it out. The other guy will, that – oh, go ahead. Now. Yeah. I will yeah. say, though, the one thing that he does provide is that of all of the returning running backs – in the entire Pac-12, he is second right behind C.J. Verdell in uh, yards per game last year. He, he was 
yes, he was such an important part. And you do look around and say, you know, uh, Zach Moss is gone. You know, Benjamin is gone. Uh, who else left? Oh, wow. This is actually tougher than I thought it would be. Um, um, uh, the Stanford guy, Scarlett. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so, so, I mean, there were some guys who left and got drafted. But he is still right up there. And you're starting an inexperienced quarterback. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting conversation, but I, I don't really – I mean, I don't think you're wrong, especially because it's not like I wouldn't be thrilled to see a lot more Jaron Magum than Ashad Clayton. You know, I like watching Alex Fontenot run too, and I'm excited to watch him, but there are plenty of guys behind him. Who's your second? See, and that's where I'm torn between two positions that are kind of interesting in very different situations. Mm-hmm. First, I would say kind of is Dimitri Stanley. Okay. And the reason I say Dimitri Stanley is because if he's going to opt out, I'm going to assume he's going to come back. And yeah. I feel like the combination of KD and Daniel Arias gives you – because Daniel Arias is a big-bodied guy. He gives you a nice kind of exterior threat. KD Nixon, he's, vers- he's a versatile guy. And then I feel like from – you know, Levante Chanel, Maurice Bell, and Jalen Jackson, there's going to be one in there that can fill Dimitri Stanley's void. Um, you know, maybe even Brendan Rice. Again, I'm putting a lot of stock in these true freshmen. But I'm, I'm mm-hmm. saying, looking at how deep wide receiver is, I want to keep Arias for the size, and I want to keep KD for the versatility. So I love Dimitri Stanley. And obviously, this is a game of this, this, oh, this scenario is tough. <laughs> yeah, but it is. And then the other position that I'm thinking about is honestly quarterback. Because – Yep. The difference between Tyler Lytle yep. and Brendan Lewis is just – it's so narrow, and we haven't even gotten a chance to actually see these guys practice, see what they look like in a new offense. But, I mean, truth be told, if you tell me right now who I want to be the starter, I would say Brendan Lewis just because get the true freshman in there, let him go through the growing pains because this team doesn't have that high expectations anyway. So that would be what I want to say with my gut. But either which way, Tyler Lytle, Brendan Lewis, I think they can both get this team to a similar ceiling. So with all yeah, that being said, exactly. And look, yeah, and all that being said, and looking at the depth chart, it says Lytle is ranked ranked at number one from the one you sent me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> if if I'm gonna say that, I'm gonna say Tyler Lytle takes the year off. Brendan Lewis gets those reps, and and you go from there. Yeah, I, I think that quarterback is definitely one of the positions that, again. They're going to play the best guy, but the best guy probably isn't all that much better than the second best guy. It'd be, you know, you know, it's probably going to be pretty tight. The other thing that I would look at is the cornerbacks. I think that you have so much depth there. You know, it's kind of tough because this depth chart actually has Chris Miller still listed as a cornerback instead of at safety, which is a position he will very likely be playing this year. And if we say he is a safety, behind him is Makai Blackman. Um, Tariq Luckett is also right there. I think I would be very tempted to take one of those. But, again, I, I, the starting quarterback and a receiver makes a lot of sense as well. Um, even the linebackers, you know, they have Akeel Jones starting, I think, Marvin Ham slipping him in there, getting more speed. John Van D slipping him in there. Um, they also have uh, Guy Thomas starting ahead of Jamar Montgomery. You know, that's another spot where maybe it's worth it just to throw a swap in because I don't know if there's much of a difference. 
Uh, if I have to yeah. pull the trigger right hey. now, though, I'll say Tyler Lytle, and you go with Neuer or Lewis, whoever ends up winning that out, which I do think that saying that, there is a very real chance that in October or in November, I'm looking back on this conversation saying, you wanted to bench Tyler Lytle? Like, yep. you thought yep. that was a good idea. I think that he really, maybe, maybe out of all the quarterbacks, has the highest 2020 ceiling. He could be a guy who steps in and is a very good quarterback right away. Or is at least like, you know, top half of the Pac-12 quarterback. Yep. Oh, I, and there has to be a second. With the yep. second, let's <laughs> yeah. go. Uh, <laughs> I, think you, I think you got it right with the receiver. I, I, think, <laughs> I think it has to be Dimitri Stanley too. I think, I think that you hit the nail on the head with your picks. The, the other one too to look at, and this is going to sound weird, but mm-hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're telling me you got to pick one starter, James Stefano for Evan Price, <laughs> that's a trade I, I mean that's a trade yeah, i would be willing okay, to make if, okay. it, if it saves another spot because i i agree i like the depth at corner but i always want more depth in my secondary so if it's between you know subbing yeah. out makai beckton or james stefano i'm gonna take the kicker but i don't think it applied in this exercise so <laughs> yeah i don't think that works yeah <laughs> all right that was a fun show we'll have you back again soon to do more of this Um, It was also a very long show, so hopefully everybody uh, is sticking around and listening to the whole thing. Uh, I will be back tomorrow. Ooh, no, tomorrow's college pod. I will be back soon with another Buffs podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks again, Ben, for coming on, and we'll do this again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I think they like my Colorado sway, because when I'm in it play. See you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And boat is where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hey. Hey. you on your own now. Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it.
little boss with my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. Man, I swear, I think they like my Colorado swag. I think they like my Colorado swag. Cause when I'm in it, play. I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it, go. You know I'm acting bad. Holly, get a boss with my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. Man, I swear, I think they like my Colorado swag.